This episode of the Reality Check Podcast is brought to you by my book, How to Get Your Shit Together, the last self-help book you will ever need. In my personal, realistic, and down-to-earth style, I share what it takes to survive the impact of mental illness and childhood trauma. To go from a place of barely surviving to passionately thriving. I draw from my lived experience with mental illness, childhood trauma, and the recovery process, providing practical advice, tips, and techniques for overcoming anxiety, defeating depression, moving on from trauma, getting organized, finding meaning, and following your dreams. How to get your shit together has the potential to turn your life around, to improve your mental state, functionality, and overall health. It's out now as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And you can grab yourself a copy via the link in the show notes. The Reality Check Podcast is brought to you by Kamigo, the world's first patented technological device that provides quick relief for anxiety, stress, and panic attacks by combining three scientifically proven methods that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calm the body. The Kamigo provides adaptive breathing regulation. It measures the depth of your breath and provides you with feedback to help slow down your breathing and thus calm you down. It does this through multisensory stimulation, which acts as a form of present state awareness and grounding. And it also employs aromatherapy, adding a calming scent to provide therapeutic relief for rapid relaxation. I use the Kamigo daily at the start of my meditation sessions to help calm me down and focus me. And I also use it at night as a way to de-stress, relax, and move into a peaceful night's sleep. Reality Check Podcast listeners will receive $30 off their order with the coupon code ZACKPPHILLIPS or via the link in the show notes. So, <clears throat> so it's been a long time, so it's been a fair while since I've uh, done a podcast. So, welcome back, and to new listeners, hello. This podcast, the Reality Check podcast, is effectively me musing on what's going on in my mind. I sort of take it as a sort of a verbal journal. When I see, hear, experience something that I feel like is worth expressing, worth noting down, worth contemplating, I put it here. And for some people, they find some solace in just hearing me express. So that's basically what this space is. I occasionally respond to current affairs. I sometimes talk about philosophy or politics or psychology. But a lot of the time, it's just my mind expressed into this medium. And it's been a little bit since I've recorded an episode. Christmas time is challenging for me. And it, it was challenging this year. The build-up, the anticipation, the anxiety, the expectation, often 
not expressed, often not even there, externally, but most certainly internally. And, you know, the, the noise, the visual noise, the auditory noise, the overwhelm of people and places, the gift-giving and the receiving and the stress around that. It's just basically a massive anxiety dump. It's too much, and it takes me a while to overcome. I had some friends that wanted to catch up, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it because my cup was empty, and it still is. And I want to take this podcast a couple of different ways, but the first thing I want to suggest is it's very hard to know what's going on inside someone's mind. I've, I've realized through interactions with people in my life who have taken some displeasure to my personality, to my existence, to things I've created and said and done that seemed way out of line, that seemed so far beyond the pale, that perhaps, just maybe, the problems within them, maybe they're triggered, maybe they have unresolved issues, and something I said or have done or, you know, embody, makes them feel insecure, and then they lash out, and I become the brunt of it. It's hard to deal with, but it's also given me some, some empathy, some sympathy. Because now when I see people struggling, in any sense, it's like, huh, maybe that person is dealing with trauma. You know, this idea of no one person is whole. Everyone is broken in some capacity is so true. And the experiences of not so great experiences over this time have shown me that that is undeniably true. Because the responses to, to small things been quite large and I can't logically see why that would happen beyond the idea that these people these persons are being triggered and their emotional response is of a level that warrants potential flashbacks occurring in their mind and they're lashing out they want it to stop it's funny because I put it back on myself just the other day my partner offered me a tomato just like, just gave me a cherry tomato. Here you go. Didn't even say here you go. Just put it in my hand. And I went to put it in my mouth. And then in that instant, I became triggered. It's like, what? Like, I, I felt like I was reliving my past of not being able to choose for myself. A small, helpless boy being pushed down multiple paths that I didn't want to be pushed down. And then in that, also, do you know how you can sort of have dual awareness? I recognized that. I was getting upset and angry, that I was projecting that look, that I was starting to respond in a way that was completely and absolutely and totally disproportionate to being handed a tomato, which is at worst a neutral uh, gesture, but it's also, you know, a loving gesture. And it made me realize just how apparent and subtle and insidious trauma can be. Because that act of, you know, offering me food, and yes, I have food issues, shouldn't warrant the response that it warrant, that it evoked within me. I spoke to my psychologist about this, 
And her response was, because I'm aware, I'm aware it's occurring. And her response was that, well, being aware is, is the first step of healing. Awesome. Okay. And then you, you, you proceed from there to do mindfulness, to recover, to give yourself a choice. And what she's got me doing is mindfulness in the morning and at night. And then I've got my watch to beep every hour. And when that beeps, I check in. It's like, huh, mindful breath. And the way I know that if I'm improving is to notice if I'm waking up, as in checking back, becoming mindful more during the day. And it's working. You know, mindful breath, calm the anxiety down, return to a little bit of a more resting, calm homeostasis. The the event that that arised over Christmas also spawned a bunch of conversations with my mother about my father, who's now passed. He was an addict and a dealer and neglectful and just wasn't at all really present. But I learnt about a couple of deep traumas that occurred with him in his life, things that I didn't know had happened that sort of helped to contextualize his terrible parenting, his shocking choices, his absolutely abominable fatherhood to me. And like I said, like you can probably tell, I don't forgive. Um, I don't forget, but I can, I can see why. I can hold in my mind, okay, this was a broken man and he should have done better. But, I, I can, my heart softens a little bit. It's, things make a little bit more sense. Once again, everyone's broken. No one person is whole. So, there's that. <laughs> um, for those that are not aware, I have a, quite a large following now, um, on my kink sex positive Instagram account. It's at 35,000. And this is going quite well. The response I'm getting is blowing me away. People are loving the Kinky Conversations podcast. They are loving the poetry, the memes, the interaction, everything. It's going great guns. But it's also causing stigma and issue in my life. It has cost me work. Um, you know, it's, it, the, the, the online work that I'm doing here is not making enough money to live off. So I'm forced to do, you know, quote unquote, regular work. That's fine. I'm happy to do it. But (laughs) the more I share about my mental state, the more I share about sexuality, the more I express myself, the more pushback I get. And that's come at a cost. And that cost is reputational and financial and I'm not going to lie that that doesn't freak me the fuck out because you know I can only be myself and to not be myself would lead to catastrophe it would lead me to a place of darkness and I've been there before live trying to live a life then I just simply couldn't continue living (sighs) so I'm going to keep going keep pushing and hopefully make something of myself but that requires so much work so much self-belief the very things that 
the mental state lacks at times. Thus, you know, seemingly everything I'm doing all the time to uh, just stay sane and sober and healthy, you know. A friend of mine, this was the sort of impetus for even recording this podcast, linked to me a quote, and the quote was saying that we've been sharing this idea of it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. And I'm not sure the point that the post was making, but it sort of highlighted the reverse of that, that if we're pushing that it's okay to not be okay, are we also pushing this idea that it's not okay to be okay? Yeah, go with me on this, because this is fascinating to me. I am one of these people that is obviously pushing this path of it's okay to not be okay. But I also have a bit of a pushback, because I say that because I believe it, because, you know, most people aren't okay by its very nature, and, you know, self-shaming beyond that is not good. But I in no way want to glorify or romanticize suicidal mental health or self-harming or any of this stuff it's not fun it's not great if i could click my fingers and just be fine well wouldn't i just do that you know back to the work thing for a second i said to my partner i'm like i wish i could just do a fucking normal job and not have all of this craziness in my mind that sort of pushes me to put out all of this stuff and share and you know just be able to do a nine to five and just be normal but i can't So I'm sort of trapped in this thing of like, well, just make do with the crazy and sort of hone the crazy to to make a living, scrape by, you know, feed the family, literally. But this idea of like pushing people or this, this, it's not okay to be okay is interesting because, you know, what happens, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but in Australia, we have this sort of tall poppy syndrome. Someone stands up too too tall, we want to cut them down. And now it's like that tall poppy could just potentially be someone that's fine, someone that doesn't have problems, someone that's getting by, you know. Everyone's complaining about you know, work and inflation and taxes and you know, petrol prices and um, globalization and all of this. Like, like everyone's complaining about everything all the time. Mental health, right? <laughs> Is if someone to be like, yeah, I'm fine. Things going great. Yeah, successful. That person seems. I don't know, something, insert negative word here. But beyond that, I worry that if we just accept our mental states, that it can lead to disaster. I believe in radical acceptance, and I push it, and I suggest it, and I, you know, when I'm working with with people, you know, when I'm working with my clients, coaching, I'm like, you know, you have to accept the reality of what's happening. Face reality. But simultaneously, move to change. This is a bit of a double think. This is a bit of a duality. Polar opposites here, but accept where you are. Accept the reality of the situation, but also take action. You know, and this is something I'm trying to model in my life. It's like, well, hey, like, shit sucks. I I struggle, clearly. I mean, you've listened this far. It's like, there's, there's issues I've got. But I can also want to, you know, I can accept that. And do those things that that I need to do to survive. You know, the meditation, the exercise, the the writing, the reading, all of the stuff that I do to survive. But I can also push to thrive. I can also push to write and to promote myself and to grow and to change and to evolve and to be more than what I am. 
Now, finding the balance here is important. But if I was just to accept my state, yes, it's okay to not be okay. But (laughs) I want to not be not okay. I want to be okay, right? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have mental illnesses. Most people do, it seems, right? Doesn't mean I want it. Doesn't mean I want to accept it. This gets a little bit murky when they start talking about body issues. Like I've, I've, I've realized there's a lot going on with me with body issues. Like I struggle with food to how much to eat, to over-exercising, to binging, like all of these things are just a struggle for me. So what do I do? I can accept myself, accept my body, but the problem is, is my body doesn't, isn't <laughs> something that I find always acceptable. Hell, my gender isn't something I always find acceptable. Not often, but there's a fluidity there that I think is a, a result of trauma, honestly. I'm like, you know, put that one on for size. <sighs> uh, I've, I've talked about that openly, this idea that I, my, 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 my concept of my own gender shifts and people of certain categories push back and be like, that's bullshit. Or they push back and be like, well, it's not a result of trauma. You're born that way. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not convinced of either of those paths. This is the reality that I face. So it's like, let's find the difference between accepting reality, accepting that you're not okay, but also making steps to become okay. And that's okay. Because what happens, you know, I've got kids. My, 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 my sole goal, not my sole goal, but my major goal is to basically break the cycle. And how do I do that? I want to show them that it's okay to not be okay. But I also want to show them that you can fucking work to change your life. I think that's the problem that we face is that, well, it seems like, it seems like people don't think they can do anything to improve their own life. It's not easy, but it's possible. And I guess, I guess the, 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 the core example is, for me, I'm moving into, obviously, poetry. I've got a bunch of books coming. I've got another set of erotica coming, Kink Volume 2. I've got another collection of poetry coming called A Requiem for What Could Have Been. And I've got a couple of books and related courses that I'm going to put on Insight Timer and Skillshare about a writing evocative poetry and creative writing for healing. All of that's coming. So it's all geared around poetry and expression. And I'm doing the work. I'm reading about how to do that better. But then I'm in, I'm in groups, writers' groups. And the questions people ask and the, the advice they give, it's very clear that they're both not writing and they're also not doing the reading to become better writers. They're not looking up the talks or the books or basically doing any other work. They're just expecting to be good. It boggles my mind. How can you just be good? Well, if you don't believe that your actions can result in improvements, it makes sense. So I sort of suggest in anything, in hook, in your body, in everything, Put in the work and you will improve. It is possible to improve. <sighs> but you have to have that belief. Faith in the future. So yeah, 
that's that's roughly the state of where I'm at. Like I said, if this is your first time, welcome to the podcast. This is this is it. This is what you're getting. Uh, I'll probably play a piece from one of my books, maybe a chapter or a post in some capacity, maybe a, po- a poem. Depends on how I feel when I'm doing the editing. But I usually do a little talk like this and share one of my um, many creations. <laughs> so yeah, have a good 2023. Take a step to improve yourself. It is possible. And join me because I'm going to have to take this thing to the stratosphere with what I'm doing if I uh, <laughs> if I want to survive. Because I tell you what, I can't go back to being a wage slave. I don't think I could bear it. The values just don't align. But anyway, have a great day. Venus flytrap. Sighing, Johnson sat down for what felt like the millionth time and began to fiddle with the plastic plant that was situated neatly in the corner of his desk. Another generic faux fern, identical in every way to the faux ferns that were to be found on most of the other desks on the floor. A blowfly lazily buzzed past one ear and then around past the other, circling his head like a passenger jet, waiting for approval to approach the runway for a final descent. Buzz, buzz, buzz. With his half-hearted attempt to shoo the fly away failing, Johnson sighed once more and shook his head. Buzz, buzz, buzz. This time, Johnson's more concerted efforts merely caused the fly to take some quick evasive action, easily dodging Johnson's aggressive swipes. Muttering something inaudible under his breath, he placed his head into his hands and continued to work on the Smith account in front of him. Buzz. 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 He missed his Venus flytrap, regularly reminiscing over the earthly smell that would emanate from the pot. Although subtle, it still served as a welcome counterpoint to the staleness of the officer's recirculated air. Adding to that small pleasure was the not-so-slight satisfaction to be gained from watching the trap's trigger-point reflexes snapping its jaws down on an unsuspecting fly. It was like watching Animal Planet in miniature. The tension, the waiting, the sudden snap, and of course the frantic buzzing of the hapless victim. In its heyday, his trap had shortened the lives of hundreds of relatives of his current insect annoyance. These brief moments of excitement punctuated the otherwise monotonous nature of Johnson's work day. He even purchased it a novelty name tag in the style of the top floor execs, complete with 12-point black professional font printed over a gold plate. It was attached to the base of the pot and served as a daily conversation starter. Mr. Exterminator was quite the rage. At one stage, there was a weekly pool where pundits would place bets on the trap's kill count for the week. To facilitate this, Johnson not only collated and organised the payouts, but would also retrieve the remnants of the fly's consumed corpses. Held in a small stationary jar in the top drawer of Johnson's desk, it was used as evidence of the winner's predictions. Buzz, buzz, buzz. I'll buzz you. With increasing intensity, Johnson began swatting at the fly, which was now assuming the role of a fighter pilot. Buzzing loudly, the fly aggressively rolled and banked 
as if engaged in a classic World War II dogfight. Johnson made three unsatisfactory swipes at the fly, hitting his desk hard with each strike. A few curious heads briefly popped up from their desks, but lost interest quickly. The sight of Johnson's face reddening in frustration at being outwitted by a fly had become all but part of the course. Originally, employees were allowed to keep live fauna on their desks. That was until Bilson from accounting had the great idea to grow a pot of cherry tomatoes. They're great for snacking. Bilson and his snacks, he always had something in his mouth. At least the cherry tomatoes were a healthy option for a change. However, when Bilson had to take a week off to overcome food poisoning acquired from the local hot dog vendor, his tomatoes began to rot and fall onto the ground. Objectively, it was no big deal. But when one of the stooges from OH&S walked past on one of their routine inspections, they noticed the inherent slippage risk and promptly decided to take action. The next morning, we were all greeted with the same generic memo. Management regrets to inform you that henceforth all office plants need to be of a synthetic nature. The safety risk posed by organic leaf litter is too great to justify their continued cultivation. All organic plants must be removed by end of day. Any remaining plants will be disposed of. To compensate for this change, management has agreed to provide all employees with a faux fern replacement. Team leaders will inform you when these will be available for your collection. Most employees followed these directives without objection. Having previously submitted to the coffee ban, coffee in mugs could spill, posing a scolding risk. The scheduled toilet breaks, as scheduling toilet breaks ensures the most efficient use of organisational resources, and the introduction of a uniform, because a free dress code could cause discrimination and objectification based on individual and cultural preferences. Thus, the organic plant ban was accepted as just another action of a hyper-risk adverse bureaucratic machine to be followed and not questioned. The only one to raise a vocal objection to management was Bilson himself, who, with a hint of a chuckle, pondered, what will I snack on now? Even though it would be the end of the betting pool, Johnson had of course obliged without any form of overt protest, other than muttering a quick word at the end of weak drinks that, management likes to overreact, hey. With that, he removed the trap and replaced it with the fern. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Not wanting to cause a further scene, this time Johnson decided to play it cool. Breathing deeply and slowly, he just observed the fly. Rather than just watching Animal Planet in miniature, he was now living it. He was the lion stalking its prey, waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. The fly, seemingly unaware of the target now painted on its back, settled down for landing. Tentatively, it touched upon the leaves of the faux fern, but was unsatisfied. Johnson, evoking a lion's instinct, just waited. The fly tried the lamp, but was still unsatisfied. Breathing deeply, but silently, Johnson continued to wait. He wanted that fly to feel safe and settled before he would strike. The fly tried and discarded two more potential landing places, eventually settling on the papers directly in front of Johnson. Grinning, Johnson prepared himself, and with the keen reflexes of a predator guiding his hand, he acted. His fist came swiftly down, completely ruining the fly, as well as the top page of the Smith account. Once again, heads briefly popped up, this time in response to Johnson's audible cry of elation, quickly followed by his loud use of profanity. Looking down, Johnson realised that the fly had just ruined the last 30 minutes of his work. <laughs>